This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Com. Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. Hey, it's George Chen, and you're listening to SubDoc, a show where we talk to our friends from the world of entertainment about their favorite documentaries. Today, we're talking about It Came From Aquarius Records with the director, Kenneth Thomas, and a few of the subjects of the documentary. Screening at film festivals right now, the doc chronicles a nearly 50-year-old record store that grew internationally as ambassador of Bay Area Music Curation. We follow the owners, Wendy Chen, Andy Connors, and Alan Horrocks as they navigate the changing world of music streaming, gentrification in San Francisco, and struggling to keep their ideals alive. Along the way, there's interviews with Matt Groening, Aaron Turner, Wayne Coyne of the Filming Lips, Liz Harris, Howie Klein, and many more. Kenneth Thomas lives in Los Angeles and made a documentary called Blood, Sweat, and Vinyl DIY in the 21st Century, as well as a film about the band Old Man Gloom. We're also joined by three of the past owners of Aquarius Records, Wendy, Alan, and Andy, joining us from San Francisco. And here's our conversation. We're starting. I'm going to introduce everyone on the show. Uh, first up, we got the filmmaker, Kenneth Thomas. Uh, introduce yourself, Ken. Hello. My name is Kenneth Thomas, and I am the filmmaker of this movie we're going to be talking about today. It came from Aquarius Records. Actually, I am the producer, director, camera operator, editor, sound designer, color corrector of this movie. It came from Aquarius Records. Don't bury the lead on the color correcting. That's a big, that's a big gig. The color cor- I wish I could gig. be color correcting. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was quite You lovely. can be color corrected. It, that voice right there. Let's introduce <laughs> it's Andy Connors, one of the former co owners of Aquarius Records. Hi, everybody. And uh, his past and current co worker, also uh, Alan Horrocks. Hello. And That's then me. the uh, past owner of Aquarius and uh, current not maker. And uh, author, give it up for Wendy Chin. And by not maker, you mean that she is a maker of knots, not that she's not a maker. Well, we really call ourselves not tires. I'm a tire. Okay. But not a tire. Knotist. A knotist. A knottiest. Knotter. He is the knottiest. No, so I didn't go to the screening. You guys had one screening in San Francisco, right? Is that at the... uh, was it SF Doc Fest? Is that what it was? SF Doc Fest at, at the Roxy, Roxy on uh, Friday night. I think it was just yeah. I your your, your absence was noticed. I was gonna say because I am in the <laughs> I am in the film very. I have two brief scenes in this film. Shout out to to me. I get a, I get a point every time. Uh, it's it's mentioned. But yeah, um, 
is this a is a film about Aquarius Records. Uh, you, you three of you you owned this store at different points in time. Uh, Ken, how did you? When did you decide this is a thing you're going to start filming or or, or thinking about? Uh, I believe it was suggested to me by Andy and or Alan. I don't know who suggested it first, but <laughs> I had made two other music related documentaries, uh, one called Blood, Sweat and Vinyl and one called Here's a Gift for You, a film about Old Man Gloom, uh, which is about a band I discovered at Aquarius Records. And the first documentary, I can honestly say every single band in that one, I also discovered at Aquarius Records. And Andy was in both of those documentaries. Alan was in one of them. So at some point, somebody said, you should just make a documentary about the store. Mm. <laughs> and a light bulb went off in my head. like, yes, and it could be the Aquarius trilogy. So and, this is a third piece in the Aquarius trilogy. And you made a film about a bunch of record labels before. Is that, that that's what you're referencing? Yeah, that's Blood, Sweat and Vinyl. Uh, that's the name of that one. And uh, yeah, it was about a focus on Hydrahead Records, bands like Isis and Pelican, um, Neurot Recordings, Neurosis being the big band, the big band from that one. And then Constellation Records, like oh, God yeah. Speed You Black Emperor, Do Makes They Think, things like that. Yes. And Carla Boslich uh, also oh, yes. on that label. Yeah, yeah. She's in that as well. Um, with a really rip-roaring performance from one of her albums. With, uh, I actually got her with Ava Mendoza on oh, guitar. Oh, nice when she was briefly in the band. So I was very happy to get that in the movie. A lot of people have been briefly in that band. I was yeah. briefly in that band for one show at the Eagle. I was in Really? The, in what did band. you do? I played guitar and, and Evangelista for one show at the Eagle. Holy and I think the amount of money I got, I bought an external hard drive. I'm like, I need to do something with this money. Oh, I'll buy an external hard drive. This is how I'm going to store all my future podcast work. And you also made the Sad Vicious documentary, which is... Right? Did you make the Sad Vicious documentary? Oh, yes, that's right. Yeah, so Sad Vicious is featured heavily in the Old Man Gloom documentary that okay. I mentioned um, because Aaron Turner, the singer of Old Man Gloom and Isis, is really, really good friends with Scott Vermeer from um, Sad Vicious. So yeah. that's how I met Sad Vicious. And then from there, they're like, we want to do a tour documentary. So yeah, myself and Scott kind of, helmed and and Stu as well helmed basically uh it was a co-production i like that you, this is doc. something so obscure that you you three don't know what we're talking about sad dishes for the rest of it they would love i know what he's talking about i was just surprised that he forgot that he made it <laughs> <laughs> just made so many documentaries you know can't keep track. I, I, i'm actually blocking it out because it's the only movie ken's made without me <laughs> so doesn't even count for me it's, it is it is it is quasi fictional, so it doesn't quite fit into the oeuvre. Unless it unless it was Alan, I'd like to go on record and say that Alan and I did not suggest making a movie about Aquarius. What? That is true. We did not. Yeah. Did it's you Ken's, it was him Ken's, to do it? it was Ken's idea. No, yeah. Ken came to us and said, "I want to make a movie about Aquarius." Yeah. Mm. I never would have suggested. I felt it. like it was mentioned in passing. Kind breaking of breaking like news. A... Breaking news here on the pod. <laughs> this is again. I mean, I'm glad. I'm glad he did it, but it definitely wasn't our idea well i will say that you might be right and, and, uh, <laughs> and if i am right it, i'm right in the sense that i feel like it's possible it was mentioned in passing like you're here all the time why don't you just make a movie about the store almost kind of it's like a sort of like a one-off sort of like whatever what's this guy with the camera always hang out in the store for and then it was just like oh wait a minute 
that's possible that happened. Yeah, that is possible. Um, I was going to ask about the, the, the chunk of time that involves all you guys. I know that period personally from being around from the 90s till now. Uh, but the period of the previous owners was that, that first kind of 20 minutes of the film where you get into all, the, all that weird uh, history. I, I say weird history because it's like, it, it's neat to me because it's just kind of like, it seems like oral tradition that's just been passed down, right? It's like a lot of storytelling. I'm sure you've all heard versions of those stories from working there, right? At some, but then you're getting it yeah. directly as like I learned, this kind I learned of like, stuff from, yeah. from seeing the film, the, the first screening. I was like, yeah, Alan it? and I were talking about we had heard the sex pistol story, but the, um, about the store being robbed, but the, the sort of actual origin of the store, neither Alan or I knew about. Yeah. Like the how, stuff about the classical shop on book. They knew, knew nothing yeah. about. There was a lot that. of new to us stuff. Even, new, even when we saw the so, movie. It was so. interesting. And it was also great. Yeah. Um, yeah. and uh, that's what I'm yeah. Uh, and it was like, it's probably half the movie, not just the first 20 minutes. I'd say. I, I, yeah, yeah. I, I I think it's yeah. Well, Ken would know. How much it's of actually it is. yeah. It's the first thirty-one <laughs> minutes of the movie. Okay. <laughs> to be precise. To be and precise. Did you know a lot of those stories ahead of time, or was it just like getting those people, getting like uh, Chris Knab or Penny uh, on on mic, and then the stuff just started coming out, just like as an aside or something? Is it did the stuff kind of come out that way? All of that information in the first 31 minutes about the history of the store, uh, I did not know about it. It all just sort of came out as they were talking about it, which was pretty awesome. And that's how I like doing these um, documentaries. I like to go in with, in a way, um, as as little knowledge as possible, if, if that's uh, easy to understand. Obviously, I need to know about the store and what the store is, but I... but the sort of like surprise that the person sees when they tell you about something and they get eager. Oh, you don't know about that. Well, let me tell you all about it. And then they just tell you the whole story. I'm just like, yes, I did not know this. Yeah. yeah, I, I, I get that sense watching it. It's just like, it's like this, you know, everyone in that first chunk is just like, just something that's just like this, Oh, this random thing that happened in 1974, that have perfect recollection of. And it's, it's just like one of those things. Um, So that stuff's really, that all that was new to me as well. Um, uh, the I didn't know that Howie Klein came out of the store, or that Four One Five Records came out of that store. Christian, oh, yeah. I didn't know any of that stuff, and I I don't know that everyone here knows. And Howie Klein's going to be at your screening, right? Is that, that right? is correct? Yeah. The for the Los Angeles premiere, he's going to it's going to be me and him as the special cool. guests after the screening. Which he lives right down the street from where I work at Los Angeles City College. Oh, crazy. And yeah, yeah, so he, I didn't realize he was, uh, yeah, he had signed like Romeo Void and stuff, or he had his own label and had uh, a couple of popular bands in the early 80s on, on 415 Records. Yeah, he and Chris Kanab actually started 415 together and Aquarius was sort of like the testing ground. Well, the the name of that club in North Beach. Mabuhai? Um, yeah, Mohai no. Gardens. That uh-huh. they basically went to shows there all the time and would see bands and then just say, Oh, this would be a great band for the label. Oh, this would be a great band to, to get in the store. That sort of a thing. It was like the total like, and then they had a radio show on KSAN where they would play all this stuff. And according to them, it was the very first punk rock radio show in the United States. Chris Kanab oh. and Howie Klein on KSAN in the 70s. And it's, it's, um 
What was that? I think there, I was going to say, I think that there's a recent, either a documentary or a book about 415 Records. There is. It's a book. I mentioned that. Oh. Yeah, yeah called by a guy named Bill Kopp, K-O-P-P. It's really good. It's called uh, Disturbing the Peace, because that's what 415, I guess, is. Yeah, oh, the, the code. Yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah. So it's a great book, and it goes into detail of all this stuff. But yeah, Howie Klein made all that stuff happen, and then he jumped into the major label world after that. Yeah, and and I and dragged David Katznelson with him, which I didn't know that part of that story either, right? Oh. But, that is a great story. I was interviewing Howie Klein, and he started telling me stories about when he was working at Warner Brothers that coincided with David Katznelson, and only then did I put two and two together. I was like, wait, do you know David Katznelson? He's like, oh, yeah, he worked for me. I was like, what? And then he's just like, oh, yeah, the flaming lips. Like, that had to go through me. Like, you know, David Katznelson, like, brought the flaming lips to Warner Brothers, but I'm the guy that said, yeah, and he signed on the dotted line and made it happen. Oh, yeah. and and like for, the boredoms and For people game. who don't know who that is. Explain. Oh, who David Katznelson is? Yeah. Or who, <laughs> who the boredoms are? Either. Yeah. Or I, there's going to be a lot of people in here that don't know a lot of these things. Uh, well, David Katznelson was a friend of the store and an early investor and... He also is famous for he was an AR for Warner Brothers. He was famous for signing unsignable bands to Warner Brothers. Yeah. Yeah. Flaming lips, boredoms, et cetera. So and he would come into the store and with this like hungry look in his eyes and buy everything we put in front of him and leave with armloads of records. And then like, the hungry look or a stone day. look. I was gonna say he was very, very high and he would forget that he bought it. <laughs> he was hungry he and stoned. Yeah. They 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 go together. Um but yeah, no, he was you know the quintessential Aquarius customer that kind of like brought what he found from that world yeah. and brought it to the you know the rest of the world in a way. You and know? he had his own label too, which was great. Yeah, yeah Birdman. Is that that's his yeah. label? Yeah. Yeah. Um okay. Uh, Wendy, how was watching this film for you? Because you've kind of maybe had the most distance from this, and you've been out of it for the longest, uh, right? Like you left oh. a, a while back, yeah. Yeah, I, I the distance it doesn't really mean anything to me. I always mm-hmm. say I always think of Aquarius as being like it's like it's like like I think of it as like my baby or Oliver's baby, right? So even mm-hmm. though you're not with it anymore, you still get to like, it's still a part of your, like a huge part of your life that you kind of don't really forget, you know, and you get mm-hmm. to take kind of take credit for like helping to make it happen kind of thing. So uh, it's, it, you know, people ask me all the time if I miss it or if it feels far away. And I'm like, no, I don't miss it because it's st- it will always be a part of my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So no, answer. it was great. It was super awesome. Mm-hmm. Wendy, do you... Do you or anybody here? Well, not Ken so much, but actually Ken, maybe to any of you, do you have dreams where you're in Aquarius Records or or in my case or Andy's Wendy's case, like working in Aquarius Records? Is that a common dream at all? Okay. I for a little while or I was a nightmare, this, common nightmare, perhaps. For <laughs> I think I told you this now. For a little while I was having this weird dream where the store was like somewhere else where it was really rainy and overcast, and you and Jim were running the store. And I would sneak into the store and steal stuff. <laughs> what does that mean? That's a I don't that's know. An interesting. But I would be like, a lot to unpack would, there. Well, we'd be talking and I'd be like st- st- sticking stuff in a bag. And then you'd be looking at me and I'd be super nervous. And I'm like, ooh, can Alan tell that I just stole a bunch of records? Wow. And I'd be like, okay, guys, I got to go. <laughs> so hmm. I love it. Interesting. Uh, yeah. I, ha- I have dreams where Andy and Wendy <laughs> and I are all working the store. I have these dreams every week still. Like... 
I'm sure oh, that's I have, weird. I'm sure I had a dream like this this very week where I'm in the store, we're working the store, and somehow it's like some weird like mix of it's not back then, it's somehow now, and we still have the store, and Wendy and Andy, we're all still working together, and I forgot to order something for the weekend or whatever, <laughs> and and it's like one of those things, like, you know, the you're in high school or college dream where you didn't go to your yeah. class all year and you've got and a test, study. and it's kind of that yeah. kind of anxiety dream. And I wake up and I'm super relieved for a number of reasons, but then also a little a little sad, but mostly relieved, but a little sad. I think you should t- talk to your therapist about this. I, I want to talk to my therapist about that and about your dream. So. Alan, is your dream, is it like the Valencia Street store or is it like a blur of the knowing? Does it they kind um, of, does the geography kind of like it's the, inception it's the, itself? I think it's the Valencia Street store. I yeah. mean, I have a lot of great memories of the store when I first started there on 24th Street, but uh, I think the dreams generally take place in the Valencia Street store, yeah. I was really, it was trippy, like just watching, because the only other film I would compare this to, obviously, is the other music documentary, which I, I really enjoyed. But I did not have as much, you know, time in the other music world as in the Aquarius mm-hmm. world, just like knowing that building super well and knowing the little stoop outside and just yeah. like seeing you guys take smoke breaks out front of the, on the stoop. Wendy taking stuff. smoke breaks out. Wendy taking a smoke break. Andy and I don't smoke. <laughs> Does, Jim doesn't smoke, right? No, he did. now. You've Jim smoked in the documentary. <laughs> Chen, do you smoke? I used to back in the day. Mm. Not anymore. But yeah, that, that like kind of stoop action. I oh, remember that stoop that action. Stoop I smoked action. on that stoop. Yeah. And yeah. and I I obviously know that block really well. And I've been on that block a bunch. Um real quick, did you guys eat the pizza at the around the corner across from Jay's cheese stick? What is the name of that? Is that the sure. PC you would get the most? Or would you get escape? Uh, it used to be called Pizza Pop, and then it became, shoot, I can't remember what it's called. I can't Do you remember see, what it's not called either. I can't remember what it's called, but it was originally Pizza Pop, and then it became something else. But yeah, we used to eat there all the time. Yep. But then you started working at Escape. Like, let's talk about that. I briefly worked at Escape also. Uh, I, like, drove for well, that. Is, docu- is this in the documentary? <laughs> yeah, it the is, escape, yeah, the Escape thing and, in the Andy's, documentary. Andy's, Andy's the next documentary is going to be George but, Chen's life. But I think we knew, <laughs> I think it's because we both, we all knew Chewy. And Chewy oh, that's was, what it was, yeah. Chewy was like a local rock celebrity friend of ours. Whoa. And then he bought, he bought the, that, whatever location, you call it, yeah. that location. And then was always trying to get us to work there. So, and we did, some of us did. <laughs> Yeah. And so, yeah, like that period of time where you are, you were you guys not taking a salary at all or what was, how was that working near the end? Like you, like, cause you had his other job doing the pizza thing. I think it was, I think it's fair to say it was maybe sporadic. Yeah. Yeah. Like you had to pay, you had to pay everyone's payroll first, right? Is yeah. That what well, was, I, I think yeah. What, yeah, everybody what, else what got I, paid and then we didn't always get what paid. I think we, as an indication of maybe, how bad we are at running a business, but also how nice we are, how, how nice we are and how, I mean, not to be like self-aggrandizing, but like, like a normal, a normal person who had a business that was not doing well would likely fire everyone and do every, everything themselves where we chose to not fire anybody so they could keep their jobs. And then we just paid ourselves less or not. Yeah. yeah. In retrospect, that was maybe a bad move, but it's a bad move, but, but it, you it know, felt good at the time. It's good karma. And not only, not only that, but when we sold the store and stranded took over, they, we had to deal with them that the, you know, our employees would remain employed there. 
Yeah. And two of them still work there. Yeah. Yeah, I remember so. that. And I, I thought that was a, a very a good move, a Menchie move yeah. to do. Yeah. <laughs> Menchie. Menchie. Yep. I don't know. Is that how you, you say it? That's how they say it. No, no. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's Menchie. So along the lines of like, we, we now have like this uh, sort of illustrated story of the Sex Pistols robbery. Uh, each of you have, you probably have uh, a story that you would sort of encapsulate uh, as like, you know, your quote, like just like some kind of folklore that kind of uh, you have about the store, some weird incident that's happened. Do you each have one of those? When we were having a busy day, we would take the 20s out of the cash register or 50s if there were any and um, and put them in a safe in the back so that there wasn't that much cash in the re cash register in case anything happened. So because it had been so busy, nobody had dropped the money in the back. Bruce and Chris and I were standing there going, oh, wow, that was so exciting. Oh, man, we just sold all those records and waiting for everybody to leave. Yeah, so there was one straggling guy and I said, come on, we, we gotta close up the store. And he comes up to the counter and he pulls out a gun. A big old gun. I pulled up the tray where we kept the bigger bills and I was separating all the checks. I didn't want him to take the checks. And he was like, give me the money, give me the money. And so I put all the money in the bag and then got back on the ground, on the floor. He takes all the money from the Sex Pistols, <laughs> you know, extravaganza sale of their first album from England. And, uh, and he said, if anybody gets up and tries to get me, I'm gonna blow your, my buddies out there, we're gonna blow your brains out. And so I was like crawling to the back of the store to call out cops and Chris was like hanging onto my ankle. No, don't get up, don't get up. And so I had to go to a police lineup and um, spotted them. So I had them ask everybody who was in the police lineup to say, what time do you close and give me the money? And so when it got to him, it was like, yeah, that's the guy. When I got home that night and I got over the, the jitters, you know, of having a gun in your face, uh, I had to think, is this an omen? Am I not supposed to be involved with punk rock? <laughs> you know, is it, you know, it was, I mean, you think everything, right? But um, that was the debut of the Sex Pistols album in San Francisco. Ah, ha, ha. ever get the feeling you've been cheated? Good night. I mean, you, you Ken filmed the the Flaming Lips in store, which I thought was kind of crazy when they were they came oh in God. with those these giant chocolate skulls that they were selling for like two or three hundred dollars, and yeah. and we had like a line like not even exaggerating like all the way down the block to like yeah. google it was crazy yeah, so gets, the, yeah the crazy thing i remember that's more like crime oriented is do you remember that that like gangbanger was being chased by the cops and he like ran into the store into the back room and then into the alley and we were like ah what do we do like that was super freaky oh i, I know i'm being chased by some other gang yeah. actually i don't know there was no. any cops involved I think the scariest thing was, and I almost forgot, but I had this on my desk is, you know, we were at the bottom of Hill street, like that. We were right across <clears throat> Valencia street from Hill street. And at one mm -hmm. point something happened and a truck lost its brakes and came down, flipped over, slid across Valencia street, knocked over the park parking meter and stopped like an inch from the glass window. <laughs> oh my God. And so there's just this truck, like the front of a truck against our <laughs> store 
And so on, on my desk, I had pieces of the like truck, like as a souvenir. That was really scary. You remember that? When did that happen? Like what year was that? Oh, I have no idea. Wow. It was after I, was, I, I know, I know it wasn't there the day it happened though. But yeah, that was really scary. That is nuts. Wow. Wasn't there? Yeah, I don't think we had, we didn't have a lot of like, we never really got robbed or we never got. No. Well, there was um, that funny story that I wasn't there exactly. for it that day, but it, it originated from when we were in Noe Valley when um, Revolver Records got robbed. Revolver was a local distributor and their warehouse got robbed. Um, mm-hmm. This was when their warehouse was in the Bayshore when they oh, yeah. were first starting out, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, and then the the thief came to, to hawk all of the records <laughs> at Aquarius. And we, and I guess it was John Arnold, I think, maybe a former coworker of ours. Um, like it was obvious that it was a thief because he was selling like a hundred copies of the same Melvin's record or something. Oh my God. And so then they, they made Good a job, date dude. for the next day for the, for the thief to come back and get paid. And the guys from revolver came and the, the, the Melvins came as muscle. The Melvins. Kind of muscle the, <laughs> yeah. As muscle. And, um, and yeah, they got all their records back, but I wasn't there for it. So I that know is that so it cool. happened. That it's is so apocryphal. cool. They agreed to do yeah. that. It's an apocryphal story, <laughs> but that was like, uh, yeah, we had remarkably few like brushes with crime or were victims of like, you know, Bad things, behavior. Were, things were different in the 70s, apparently. Yeah. According to the guys, part of the gentrification where there's less less crime. Yeah. I also think to be to be brutally honest now that it's been long enough, we didn't really have much to steal. <laughs> well, we didn't really pay much attention to it. Like we had a very primitive theft system where we just took the CDs out. So I and you know, we had that we had boxes and boxes in the back of like cases without CDs, which I presume. And and CDs without but, cases. Yeah, there so was I some, there a lot was some of people occasionally. stole stuff, but we didn't really. It wasn't a big deal. We didn't pay attention to it, and we didn't have like a alarm on the door or anything. We sort of just like yeah, did what we could. We were it, kind of even from the beginning. I don't think we we have we never even when we were doing great, we never had tons of money, so we never yeah. had or time. You know, we never were like let's close the store and fix everything. We were just yeah. like you know. But surviving and making sure everybody got their records, and no, so yeah, yeah. no yeah. one we kept ever the baseball ran. bat behind the counter. We never had to use it, right? No, <laughs> um, no one ever ran after someone down the street like they used to do at Rasputin's. Like they'd chase someone out of the store back in the day. Oh wow! They, I don't think if so. They, if they try to, yeah. we had a crazy something. person come in the store once and take off their clothes. It was that Remember one that time, Alan. Is that just that one time I did that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I yeah, two times. Then, two times. And of course, there's the famous time where Jim wouldn't let Anthony Kiedis use the bathroom. Yes, I was going to say you got to tell I that never story. Know that. Jim Jim kicked him out because he thought he was like a junkie or something. And we're yeah, like, you which didn't is, know he was right. He kind of was, but I was like, Do you know who that was? He's like, I have no idea who that was. Like, that was Anthony Kiedis. Oh, yeah, he wanted God. to use I, I the bathroom, and Jim's like, No, yeah. we don't let the public use. Oh, the bathroom. and then there's the time there's the time where Alan got in an argument with John Zorn. Thanks about, to Wendy. Wendy. <laughs> Maybe we kind of picked the fight, but Alan yeah. sort of took it up. And it was like whether John's music belonged in jazz or an experimental and Alan and John yeah, Zorn got it. Yeah, John, he came Zorn. In, John Zorn was in the store and he was complaining <laughs> that his music was in the jazz section and on the experimental section. Then Wendy's like, well, Alan over there put it in the, the jazz section. <laughs> something, something like that. You didn't say it like that, Wendy, but but point is she was like, you know, put was it on me. Well, probably. And I explained <laughs> that. Yeah, because. 
the experimental section is always <laughs> this big morass of different stuff. And I my my feeling was if you could find any excuse to take something out of the experimental section, put it in a different bin in the store, that was probably a good move because otherwise it was just this jumble of all kinds of different things. The experimental means anything. So John Zorn, dude's playing a saxophone. Yeah, that's jazz. Saxophone is the, what it comes down to. Yeah. Put in the jazz the section. Sa- right? The saxophone. John is jazz. Zorn didn't buy that argument, so you know we had a difference of opinion, and uh, you know that's we, oh, we, haven't, we, haven't, we haven't we haven't spoken since. Oh my god. <laughs> so, he should Brutal. have been happy that we had like a little name card for him and like a whole yeah, like we put all his shit into that section. Not every artist's got a name card. Also, <laughs> did you just say that I had a crush on him? Because that's not true. No, I didn't. no, we don't say that. No one said that. That sounds like a little Freudian slip there. No, no. <laughs> um, I do remember another good one where um, Boots Riley. Oh yeah, was, that was good was, oh, was yeah. doing was doing an article for some magazine he was recreating it was classic it was the, scenes it, it was for the film it was for the film fest and they're actually filming things to yeah. show in front of uh well movies. he was recreating he was recreating yeah. classic scenes from his from films he loved mm-hmm. yeah. and one of them was the do the right thing where they threw the garbage thing and so alan had to play the racist shop owner <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> The John Turturro, you're the John Turturro of that scene. Yeah, and then yeah, boots. and he had this, but it was funny because he had this little tiny waste basket. He's like, "I won't hurt your store, I promise." And he just kind of like <laughs> threw it and it went thump and like fell on yeah. the ground. <laughs> yeah, I, I would love to see the footage of that. I don't know whatever. Happened I have to photos it. of it. I don't have yeah. a video, but I have yeah, you took a photo on your phone. That's right. I thought. Yeah. I thought um, you were gonna tell the story of how um, their record came out. Like, didn't it come um, out? The nine eleven record. Yeah. And it came out on 9-11, yep. the Oof. coup, his 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 group at the time. And um they, you know, the al- the infamous album cover of it. That's so oh, yeah. crazy. And so they they recalled it, right? Or they they yeah, released it with a different album cover, but then he gave us like hundreds of copies of the original. <laughs> and so yeah. when someone bought the cover, we would bought the album, we would give them a copy of the original sleeve with the um twin towers on it. Yeah. Whoa. See, that's Great. local community right there. Wow. And then uh, I think most of my rest, most of the rest of the memories, I think are, are like, for me, would probably be in source, you know? Yeah. I was going to ask, like, so there's a reference to the flaming lips ones. What are, do each of you have like a couple of in stores that you remember as being your favorite? Well, I have this, I have a really amazing photo from when Elliot Smith played in the store. And I think it's Wendy, Elizabeth and cup all next to each other on the counter, like crying. Like totally, just like maybe it wasn't you, but there's like when all like this, vigorously shaking your head. All now. Like this, it's super. Aww. Aww. Yeah. Smith. I may have cried oh, during the. I oh, may have cried at the Neutral Mifflin in store. That would be one of my favorites. That one and the Dirty wow. Free in store were Oof. my favorites. And the Olivia Tremor Control was a good one. And the Apples in Stereo was okay, really good. So many good in stores. Yeah, I mean, there's. I I don't even think we ever made a Scott like, Mountain Boys in store. That was a good one. Oh, Scott Mountain, Mountain Boys. But I don't think we ever. And we had uh, Yola Tango did like three or four, and Not a Surf did one, and I just, Jonathan Richmond did three oh, or that four, was a, that and was, he would he would he so would good. jump up on our counter and um, oh my god, prance. Just yeah, we should just, try to oh keep my god, that's so cool. On a company, not just singing, just no nothing, just on the amazing. Such a performer. We should really try to come up with a comprehensive list because I always try and then I remember other ones that, you know. What's so. the first one you ever saw? Ooh. Oh, 
Well, I remember Sold, Sold American was a big one too. They were their first show in like 30 years or something. Yeah, but they're like in stores up at the uh, 24th Street shop. Couch. There's like Neutral Milk Hotel. Oh. The, we were having much weirder ones up there because it was couch. Yeah, couch. I remember Couch. I, remember, I, um, I, I did go to one good. of the first, the first one I ever you know, saw. Um, uh, Gosma Copilot, I believe, did it in store up um, there. Oh, and Good Horsey. Good Horsey. I uh, went to Refrigerator. Refrigerator, oh. yeah. Oh, refrigerator. Yeah. yeah. I think I was probably like one of nine people there or something. I can't remember. I think that that was a that was a first Aquarius had this had definitely had like we were really tight with the, the sort of shrimper scene. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So with like Mountain Goats and Franklin Bruno and all that. And then later it was like the flying nun New Zealand scene. And then so I think there was we definitely sort of became the go-to for all the little like micro scenes that people love that were often hard to find in the United States. Yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. And that fits in a lot with how, I don't know how, how you all first found out about Aquarius records, because none of us were there at the beginning. So we all found out about it somehow. And then some of us wound up working there. I yeah. learned about Aquarius records before I moved to San Francisco from um, reading about probably an in-store performance in like an interview with a band in banana fish magazine. So yeah. it was probably some shrimper band or something that it, and they mentioned, Oh, we did this in-store to Grace records or something. And I was like, Oh, and I moved to San Francisco, I'm going to check out the shop. And I remember going there the first time I went there, not knowing my way around San Francisco, walking there from market street being like, well, it says it's on whatever, <laughs> like the cross street and going up this damn huge hill and down another hill is like not the way to go to get there and showing up in the mic, man, this is a really small store and but uh but but loving it and uh and meeting carl who was working at the time and then uh eventually ending up working there so totally and and getting hired to be my boss when i was out of town right let's not forget that yeah (laughs) i came back and alan was my boss that was very upsetting (laughs) you mean it was (laughs) i mean it was very exciting that's what i meant Exactly. I just worked across the street. I worked at Holy Bagel across the street because oh. I was like touring all the time. So I had, you know, rock band jobs that I could just quit. And and then I would just go to Aquarius every single day after work and hang out until I got hired. <laughs> yeah. This is a lot like I like the thing with Lost Weekend, too, is like basically all these musicians worked there because they were so flexible. And because it was owned yeah. by a mm-hmm. musician, you kind of was like flexible about the uh, the working hours. Um, actually, I, I don't. Th- I, I don't think I, was, I know how Wendy found Aquarius. Yeah. Oh, I was working at um, Rainbow Records, which was like a franchise, <laughs> and I worked at like two of their branches in San Francisco. Um, I think because Tower wasn't hiring when I first moved here in 1989, so I like worked at stores, and then um, I think I had a friend at Aquarius, and that's how I they were hiring and so i went in and they gave me the job and i went home and bought a bottle of champagne so that was like <laughs> in 89 or 90 or 91 or something yeah and they're but, used- um, oh, yeah, you know sorry. we didn't hire we didn't necessarily like hire people because um like like musician jobs because of the flexible schedule part of it or anything like i remember when i was hiring people when i heard alan and did i hire you andy i yeah. did right mm-hmm. like when i 
people. It was because I could see that they're like the store had blind spots um, in terms of genres and music that we like wanted to like be on top of and like be the spot for it. And we, I couldn't, you know, so like Annie would come in and talk about metal and I didn't know what black metal was at the time. And it was super early days for that. And I could, it was clear that he just knew everything there was to know about it. Um, so that would be like why we hired him and we hired Jim because it is a like, you know, techno and electronic music background. So that's why we hired people. And it, it turns out that like those, some of those people were also musicians, but everyone was just so cool and super passionate about the music. So, and so it ended up that we had a like really well-rounded staff when you looked at the whole, like everybody together. Yeah. And, and the, you guys, the film talks a lot about the newsletter and like Wendy, like you sort of like innovated like a, a content management system basically for for reviews and for uh, audio samples that you guys were very early on having audio samples for records. Oh, yeah, they did yeah. real audio. Yeah. Back in the days of real audio. Yeah. The M3U <laughs> files and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. 64K quality. I think way in the beginning, you know. Hey, what do you what do you want for free samples, Ken? I love it. No, I love it. It's just I've kind of reminisced about that. No, I mean we had now. people. I mean that was kind of the ritual. But when you talk to people about their Aquarius, like what they miss about Aquarius, they miss it's either Friday night or Saturday morning. They would be eating or drinking or smoking pot. They would just spend the whole time reading reviews and listening to all the sound samples. Hell yeah, dude! Like That's it was very it. much a ritual for like hundreds of people, and that was. It was kind of cool, you know, like, like reading it alone would be really fun, but actually being able to read it and hear all the bits and pieces of the stuff you're reading about, like Justin, you know, how Justin talks about in the movie where we got him to buy that record that he ended up hating. Yeah. But Alan and I are like, this is the best record of all time. You have to buy it. And then he's like, oh, why did I buy this stupid thing? Um, and I'm sure that happened a lot, but, but, but being able to like hear our crazy opinion and then form your own from actually listening to it and then. Mm -hmm combining the two to decide whether you really needed it or not. I think that's cool. That yeah. there was a line, I think it was uh uh there was a line someone said about shape hunting where like uh predators oh, yeah. like look for a shape and so <laughs> yeah, that's that's John basically Sharp. just like certain and, key yeah. words would like be that for, oh. for you. Like yeah. No, that's what I would do. I would just scan the list and I'd see sludge. I'm like, oh zero in on that. You know? Yeah, yeah. and the millions of different millions of different like shimmery and <laughs> mesmer and yeah yeah but you, yeah like yeah. what what year did you actually start you know making the the you know uh from writing the reviews to having like a database of stuff like was the date that the happened first one on? was like in 92 or something maybe 90 mm, it was before i did lollapalooza and i did lollapalooza in 92 so yeah it was right before that um, was when we started the list, but I, I want to say that we didn't actually start a database for it until close to when we moved to, um, to Valencia street, mm -hmm. but we took, we still took all of the prior years, um, record reviews and, and fed them into the database. And that, that's the thing I kind of miss. I'm definitely miss that resource. I think it's only on like Wayback machine now. Yeah. I, I don't yeah. know if there was a good repository for, we had that. a I still go to it all the time on Wayback yeah. Machine or archive.org. Yeah, and but the only annoying thing is that you can't search. So you have right. to like oh, you have to know <laughs> which yeah. which week it was or what I mean, was. I have a copy of the database, the uh -huh. file maker file for the Ooh. database, which is huge. But we had a customer, <laughs> we had a customer make a little interface, but it was kind of slow to go through. Sure. Yeah. But my question is when I know it was probably a gradual process, but when did 
Like I was looking at the old, you know, like list 12 and list 15 where the review literally said new record from stereo lab. That was the whole review. Like at what point did that turn into like 10,000 words? I know, I know. I'm partially After you to, started writing. <laughs> I know I'm to blame, but like, yeah. it's, it's, it feels, it feels like I had never written a review that short, but I know we did in the beginning where we're like, you did, you know, two sentence reviews. And then we just mission sort of grew and grew and grew. Yeah. It's just so nice that that happened, you know, that it happened that way. Like it, I feel like it happened naturally. First we were just like, Oh, let's give the kind of information that someone who knows this band might, you know, they might be, they might be excited that they have a second album out kind of thing. Or maybe we'll just say a couple of words about the genre or whatever. But I think we got so much um, positive feedback from describing things and telling people why we thought it was good and our like our personal thoughts about it, not just the facts about the record that someone would need to know in order to buy it, right? So we started talking right. about how we felt about it, and and we got so much positive feedback that I guess we just kept doing it. And then <laughs> and then I was like, and then we'll tape them to all the records. We'll tape them. We'll print out all the reviews, and then I made a handwriting font for each yeah, person the font, in the store. The font, yeah, yeah so that cool. was super fun. And so the whole point was to make it as personal as possible. Well, what's more personal than writing it in your own handwriting kind of thing, like your own review in your own handwriting. It's like, yeah, it's like it's your, it's like a craft project kind of too, like just cutting oh, yeah. out the, the reviews. So that's a continued. Well, that became like, that literally became like one of the biggest full-time jobs at Aquarius when you were working the counter was yep. the, was the Making taking tags. the tags off things you sell, <laughs> putting them on things that you got in, having all the like the box of a hundred uh, records that we just got in going through the alphabetized list of tags and finding them and putting yeah. them on. Right. The, and, and, the tag filing system, right? We had, uh, we tag had, filing we had system. boxes and boxes yeah. like alphabetized. And then every, every other week when the list came out, someone had to print out all the reviews and make a hundred more, make, make all these tags to put on the, <laughs> on the releases in the store. So yeah. A lot of it was yeah. greatly appreciated. <laughs> it did not go unnoticed. <laughs> No, it was great. It was funny too. I think this got mentioned in the um, movie too, but I, you know, I was touring a lot during a lot of this time and I would come across record stores in Europe where they would have tags on their records. And I'd be like, we wrote that, like, that's my review. And I'd be Whoa. like, Hey, and they'd be like, Oh, we love Aquarius. And I'm like, oh, that's, <laughs> yep. that's I guess cool, you love I guess. us a lot, don't you? <laughs> yeah. But that happened three or four times where I saw like people just like took our reviews and put them on records. And I'm like, eh, yep. Guess that's cool. Yep. Do you yeah, still, heard- you know, buy something and find like, oh, the blurb on here on the, on the, you know, the sticker or whatever is from Aquarius. I mean, oh, yeah. I think you have some like very specific things. Like it's the most anyone's ever written about like a CDR that came out in like 2006. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. So maybe the only, re- the only source of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, honestly, when, you know, when people ask like why Aquarius was special, I do think that there were like, you know, there are different chronicles, like I was saying about scenes, but also eras like the CD, CDR era. Yep. Like Mm -hmm. the customers who were interested in that found us and we were already loving that kind of music. It was just a new format. And so like all the New Zealand stuff and Birchville Cat Motel and all that stuff, we, we were really the maybe not the only place to buy it, but the only place to learn about it if you had never heard it before mm-hmm. and then like discover that you love this new thing and then want to buy them all. Um, yeah. Which I thought was cool. One of the, one of the things that made it special to me, I think. And, mm-hmm. and both Andy and Alan, you both do radio shows now, right? Or like, they're not 
terrestrial radio. They are uh, it's like a streaming. Uh, yeah, on, type on thing. give me give me metal. Is the, yeah, and is I do the, one. I do another one in in Europe on uh, repeater radio too. Oh, we, like yeah, it's we, a separate, I, and that's just like a separate. You you do two different shows. Andy yeah. does two different shows because doing gonna, one for, one for free isn't enough, so I just do it for free. <laughs> Yeah. Were, were you going to ask George about like how that be, like I've always been curious about your guys's radio shows like how does it um, like you're doing it for the same reason right that we were at Aquarius but um, yeah, yeah. what does it feel like in terms of like connection to the musicians that are making music and connection with the audience I think is the, it similar they have a really the, the one thing Aquarius sort of predated in a way was we, you know, we did the list and the list definitely had a social component, but it was only this sort of once removed interaction. Like we had a social interaction with people reading the list and ordering records, but they've done a really good job, at least at Gimme with like a big, big part, you know, all the shows are pre-recorded. So as a DJ, you have nothing to do, but be in the chat. Yeah. So that's the talk, live aspect of it. And talk with the listeners. Oh. Yeah. So, you know, cause if you were actually DJing, there's no way you could also right. chat. Yeah. So, so I've, you know, I've made friends like we, a lot of people listen to both me and Alan's same people listen to yeah. both our shows, but like we have a, we have regular listeners in New Zealand and in, in uh, Australia Alaska, and all kinds of places. Australia. Yeah. And so it's really fun because it's, it's sort of, I think if Aquarius had continued on, we might have built something similar, like some yeah, sort of been cool to have something social like that. Component. Yeah. That'd be yeah. cool. Yeah. And definitely like Aquarius radio. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's limited because it's like, I mean, metal is a very diverse uh, genre, so you can play a lot of different things, but it still can't play all the stuff we'd want to play necessarily in a total freeform format. But yeah. I do think I get, you know, Wendy, I get uh, some of the same, like being able to do the show was helpful in getting to have an outlet to share my enthusiasm for weird new music I might find and to get some of that like have some of that community and some of the people listening know about aquarius and well in the chat they're like oh yeah and then we'll talk about it or whatever and then some people don't and they're like oh i heard about your documentary I, you know i really wish i could have you know shopped at your store and and so that's pretty neat and then i've made yeah like andy's saying like you know made some new friends i've like pen pals there's a guy in england who i was I listens to the show and i was super stoked to find out that he used to play in a, he's been in a number of bands, but at one point he was playing drums in the band 1617, which yeah. some of you might be That's familiar cool. with Switzerland. And, and uh, like, Whoa, this dude from, so, you know, a guy who played drums in that band is listening to my show right now. And like, and he emails me all the time <laughs> and we talk about bands and stuff. And, and in terms uh, of like, just sort of this world's colliding, you know, the, the music director <clears throat> of gimme <clears throat> is Brian Turner, who used to be the music director yeah. of WFMU who were like the, college radio version of Aquarius and then Tyler the guy who <laughs> runs Gimme was always this big Aquarius fan um so there's definitely a lot of yeah a lot of t callbacks to, <clears throat> to our store yeah i was going to say like maybe like it you know 7 years ago or something like i could see there was sort of maybe different options of where you could have gone with like the brand of Aquarius right like i think about something like Dub Lab in LA mm -hmm. and how like, they're just like, like curators and also like DJs and they yeah, maybe are different cause they have like a nonprofit model. Uh, or, but like, I, I could sort of see like other ways, the kind of like, I don't know, brand of Aquarius could have morphed. Yeah. And I'm sure yeah. you thought about a lot of stuff and maybe you were just like, how do you do this without like getting 
investors yeah. or even what yeah. was the role of the investors that were mentioned in the film? I don't, I don't know. I think I didn't know much uh, about that. Uh, well, for me, um, Katz Nelson was one of three investors. They weren't really investors. They just lent me money so that I could buy the store from the oh, former okay. owner and move mm-hmm. it to Valencia street. And mm-hmm. what they lent me like in today's numbers is kind of laughable, but I had $0. So right. it was, it was super welcome. Um, and I was so grateful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he was one of the people that let, let me money just to buy the store. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you guys also did something like that. It wasn't too well. Yeah. We had to borrow money. Yeah, to buy we the store. We yeah. borrowed money, but we also, you know, we had, I think we, we sort of got the store in this like golden era where like right before what was it? 2008. <laughs> So we had kind of a yeah, 2003, we had very dramatic, you know, the first f- three or four or five years were like gangbusters and then 2008 happened. So we had oh, sort yeah. of a very tumultuous yeah. up and down and a lot of kind of growing pains and stewardship. Hard, it was yeah, and a lot of like kind of, kind of having to transition from like working in the store to like also owning a store is, is, right. is, uh, is tricky. Cause you still feel like you still have to do all those things you were already doing and uh, as a you know on a day-to-day basis and it was yeah. hard to do the big picture things and and then there's not time to do it it's like like yeah, yeah. Hindsight, there's a lot of things that do differently and i think george has a good point about like there could have been lots of other paths we could have taken with with it had we had the the energy and the resources later on and i think a lot of things if we would have thought of them sooner you know kind of realized the writing on the wall like you know but we had a lot of there's a lot of wishful thinking going on when you're right i think this one, one frustration was that a lot of stuff that a lot of the stuff, like a lot of the way we ran the store was just cause that's how we did it when she got the store, you know, like, like we sort of inherited, yeah. Inherited processes, operational instead of, stuff, instead yeah. of creating our own. And mm-hmm. I always thought, man, if we weren't just so like, we couldn't, we were one of those stores where we couldn't close for a day cause we would lose a, two thousand dollars or something or whatever yeah. it was right so but i always fantasize i'm like imagine if we could just close for a month yeah and we could redo the entire store exactly the color and the shelves that we wanted mm-hmm. put a new you know like everything you always want to do but don't have time or money to do so instead you just sort of inherit processes and yeah. nudge them and change them slightly yeah. yeah many of which are good but then some things you, you just do you know things have to change and if you, but and in a perfect you world don't... you would be improving and sort of iterating on things well, instead of just you know yeah 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 you spend you, there was always so much i mean some people probably have a fantasy that working in a record store is just sitting around listening to records and nothing could be further <laughs> from the truth because Everybody. you're working all the time there's so many little things that you have to do and all these little tasks and, and a lot of that was self-inflicted because the tags and the re- yeah, review writing yeah. and whatever got but time to lean you got time to, to clean yeah <laughs> that was what we needed to do to like whatever, like make the store the quality that we wanted it to be. Um, but yeah, the, the, the result of that, one of the unintended results was that we never had time to like pick our heads up and just think a little bit bigger picture, but we talked about it all the time. Like something as little as like, Hey, we should make mixtapes for all the stores on Valencia street. So like they could just like play the music that we sell and they could send people to start something as little as that Mm -hmm. to like, I interviewed a bunch of music supervisors in Hollywood. Cause I was like, that seems like a really good thing that I'd be qualified to do, you know, or Aquarius would be qualified to do like big things like that. 
um, like using our knowledge and our passion and our like beautiful connections in the whole industry and like maybe making more than just minimum wage. Wouldn't that be nice? But like we never had time yeah. to fucking think about it, even yeah. like to yeah. do it, to make or it happen. Like put on a festival every year. Wendy put on a festival oh, yeah. one time, yeah. but like yeah. oh, the the we've been stock? doing that, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that and Andy had a label, but the store could have, like, we released some some releases for Record Store Day, but like I think the, we could have done more yeah. of that as well. Like, there's all these different, you know. You put out a Commoniter book, right? That was like an Aquarius release. <laughs> well, we did, right? and we did like a, did a Carlton uh, Melton and a, White Hills. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I think what we fund, what we did fundamentally was we created this thing that was really special and really unique, but unfortunately was so labor intensive, yeah, super labor that it yeah. made it impossible to scale and impossible to keep going you know mm -hmm. like like even when then that was the problem when 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 sales kind of dipped like to do the list and to do everything we wanted we still had to have four or five people working even though like we weren't selling anything because mm -hmm. it just took so much like man and woman power to get things done mm -hmm. yeah yeah um you know and we did that to ourselves Cause, but cause like, you're selling stuff that no one's gonna buy unless you write about it and tell them why it's so right. awesome that you love it and and you couldn't order the stuff and just expect people to walk in and buy it or to order from you you know the website they have to read about it and right. so you have to write the stuff and you have to yes. source it and and so yeah it's having, just, uh, having like a, a critical metadata about a cdr where your markup is like you maybe make <laughs> two bucks on it you, so have you have to, to sound like yeah and you yeah. can't do volume when there's only 25 copies of the CR to yeah. begin with, and you got all the copies. Like, yeah. You still, it's all, still only 25 copies of it, and the margin's really small. So, yeah, it's a losing proposition in the end. But you know, we, I think, we, we yeah. land, we, you know, we all, we all found other things to do after Aquarius. You know, we, we uh, tried to think of different solutions. We were like, well, what if we don't do mail order? That would solve part of that problem where we're just in the mm -hmm. store. We wouldn't always have to have four or five people working. But the mail order and the international reach is kind of what made it so cool. Yeah, it you had hub. to keep that going. Or yeah. could we? And Dude, Alan, I, where we all talked order. about closing the store and having a mail order. But then, then mm -hmm. I think people aren't as interested in ordering from a place if they don't have it in their mind, even though they're never going to go there. But they can imagine that there's this physical place with these people in it that they could someday they could imagine aspire to to, to visiting. And you have more cachet and everything if you have that. So I, I, I love think that lost, idea. It would have lost something it, too. I love that idea, but in retrospect, probably might've been a good idea. Like right now, how do you order most of your music? Band, like Bandcamp and yeah, you know, I was gonna Hell's, say, Hell's Headbangers or whatever. Like I, I, gonna, yeah, 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 I was going to say like, if you like, Imagine that you had to, you had stayed open and then you got hit by COVID. Like how would that have even? Oh my God. Well, I'm glad I know, we avoided that. Yeah. Revolver, oh, I think had a yeah. good, yeah, uh, they their their mail order went up during COVID. Mm -hmm. I think even their their retail sale, their wholesale sales might have gone up. But like I can't, yeah. My sister also had a retail has a retail store, and she had a retail store on Valencia Street for a long time. So I've heard a lot of these similar mm -hmm. things of like you are just so bogged down in your operational stuff that you can't like rethink what you're doing. Yeah, yeah it would point. not have been fun. So and George, you and I can relate to like you know George put out my band's first record. <clears throat> which was like made recorded, made released all right During in the COVID. middle of the yeah. pandemic <laughs> where people aren't going to record stores. There's there like, no live shows. There's yeah. no live yeah. shows. What are you gonna like, do with so it? it's, so I can't even imagine it if we were trying to run a store and I know, you know, we all know so many stores that we love or stores in our neighborhood that are not there because of COVID. So yeah. mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I, I think, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say like, it, it's cool because the film is sort of like, you get to experience all the community stuff 
and like that that I was there that day your film that uh that anniversary in 2015 mm-hmm. uh, that was a really I remember that being a really fun time and being like yeah I wish it was like this every every yeah. weekend I wish it was record store day every every yeah. weekend which yeah. it just isn't and um and now a lot of stores actually don't like record store day because you get stuck with Let's- a bunch of stock. Maybe we should get into that move. subject, this, but yeah, this could we don't very easily talk about that. <laughs> we have a couple yeah. hours to hey, just resolve. You know <laughs> yeah, I thought I'd end on a bummer. No, um, no, no. no I mean, I think you get to see the community stuff and the connections you guys have made, and like, you know, like I feel like my whole experience of living in the Bay Area would be totally different if you guys weren't there too. And like, I just oh. you know learned so much from being around you guys, and I think Ken really kind of captured like that. That, you know, I don't think it's like all nostalgia because it just feels like, you know, this community kind of is still there. And there's like, you know, it's just like the enthusiasm is still there. But mm-hmm. it is like, it is just like San Francisco's changed, obviously. There's other documentaries about gentrification in San Francisco yeah. and and how unaffordable it's become. Yeah. But it just is like, yeah, it's like, you know, it's just kind of a bygone era. I mean, there's a time when everything ha- cool happened in North Beach. And yeah. I was never around for any of that. I'm like nothing cool ever happened in North Beach since I've lived here. <laughs> no, so yeah. um, it things just kind of go through these weird cycles. I think everything's probably happening in the East Bay now. That's mm-hmm. just my sense from being well, that's East what Bay. I like, yeah, that's what I like so much about um, Ken's movie was that you know we all all of us here on this podcast like understand like the the Venn diagram of like all the different communities that overlapped with Aquarius, like as one, you know, hub of that, like beautiful network of communities. Um, we all know about that, but nobody had ever really documented it or like put it into one place. Um, and not only the, the communities that we were involved with, but through time, you know, since the seventies, like to, to make like this beautiful, um, sphere, just to, you know, to really capture that was like such a, beautiful thing that you did, Ken. Thanks. I mean, it was definitely a challenge. And um, I don't know, I I worked with this guy that said, hey, man, if you don't document it, it didn't happen, which I sort of take to heart with these things that I make documentaries about, because they, they tend to be things that you know, or under the radar or underground or 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 independent record labels and record stores. And we know about it. And the people who love the lists know about it, but uh, I feel like it, if there's not some sort of appreciative filmic document about it, then it's almost kind of like it's, you know, it happened, but hopefully people in the future will watch it and go, oh, wow, that's cool. People would go to record stores and buy stuff and talk to people and get recommendations from someone standing right in front of your face. That's that's a novel idea. You know, it's, and yeah, that's what it's I loved just, about that store. It's beautiful. And like, it, it, as with you coming in at the tail end of the history of Aquarius records, um, and, and, and wrapping that up and documenting it, like you then become a part of that history and you've become a part of like all of our collective story, the store. Oh yeah. Uh, so, you know, another reason why that's valuable is like, I, I sort of, you know, Alan and I work at the same place, but somehow, somehow I've lucked into not that we don't both like enjoy our jobs, but for me personally, I lucked into this situation where my job is actually still helping artists. Like that's something mm-hmm. that I've always done and wanted to do. And I don't think I would stay at Pandora if I didn't, if that wasn't the thrust of my job. But so I, I travel a lot and I speak to artists and because of Aquarius and music and stuff, I'm not just there being like, Hey, Pandora is cool. I'm always like, let's talk about Bandcamp. 
let me tell you about touring. Let me teach you how to make t-shirts. And like, it's very organic. But the last few times I was speaking to artists two different times, I was like talking about things you could do. And I was like, yeah, you know, you could just make, make a seven inch and no one in the room knew what a seven inch was. Yeah. And then I was talking to another group of artists and I was like, yeah. And you know, you'd find this band that's very similar to you and you guys could do a split together and they're like, what's a split? And I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> a collab. That would be a collab. Yeah. It's a collab. Yeah. They could do a, I might have they could do a seven inch in there. It's like, oh, God. But, I, but you know, like, it's interesting too, because I, I, it makes me curious about like what, sh- what shape or form Aquarius would have taken if it had made it to 2022 when like the world is more sort of TikTok and streaming and et cetera, et cetera. Like, I think there's still obviously always going to be people who are nerdy and want to buy objects, but I think there are going to be, and there are developing ways to sort of tie all that together, you know, to streaming and playlists and physical and et cetera. And I think we, I think we could have been a great part of it, but I think we had just. We had plans at one time to start a download store. Yeah, I remember. I never that. got off the oh, ground, that's, but that can't, that's also in the other music talk. You know, in the long run, <laughs> that would have not help. But yeah, but an but, Aquarius uh, streaming service, yeah. though, yeah, <laughs> would be cool. Mm-hmm. I think that one of the things that um, endures in all of us, that um, in all of us, all of us, all of us here, um, and something that I learned from the experience at Aquarius, and and it's it's this attitude that I think we all still carry with us, which is that you know somebody who makes a record, makes music, who creates art in their bedroom in a very very like you know humble way, and like has the courage to put that out into the world, like we we want to pay attention to that. We know that that art has value. It doesn't matter what fucking label it's on, if it's on a label at all, who released it mm-hmm. or who made it. Um, like that kind of care and attention and valuing seemingly small things that aren't very small is uh, is an attitude that i i think of every day and i'm i'm sure that you know clearly andy does and i'm sure alan does too and all of you guys if i could just like for an give an example for a second like all that so i make art out of knots now which is like the weirdest thing in the world and who would ever do such a stupid thing right quote unquote but people ask me all the time like how you know do you miss Aquarius or like how does that how did that affect what you do now kind of thing and I'm like there's a clear line because we would sell records like of music by elephants in Thailand or like a musician with down syndrome from Argentina or like um, a policeman from Ethiopia in 1974 like we would we valued all of that and we wanted to listen to it um, and so for me, like, no matter how esoteric the thing you're into or the thing you're making is, if you, if you do it with a lot of passion and heart that, and put it out into the world, it will find an audience. And I'm finding that with my art now, even though I'm not, you know, directly making music or anything, but it's this attitude that I bring to seemingly small esoteric mm-hmm. things and knowing that they have value. And I honestly think That's awesome. you were like, you really spearheaded this idea of, you know, like now you think now you take it for granted that no matter what you like, there's a thousand people somewhere on the internet that like the same thing. Yeah. But when we started the store and when we, you know, even partway into the store that didn't exist. And so the list was a musical version of that. Like people were like, Oh, I love listening to cars crashing and old broken refrigerators. Nobody else likes that. And we're like, oh, actually, we have a CDR of that. And it's yeah. awesome. You or know? better yet, the people who didn't know that they liked that because they never heard it before. Yeah, discover but then that. they discovered that they liked it and they never would have. So 
but I, yeah. and, you know, and we talked, I guess, I think that gets talked about a little bit in this, in the movie, but that's also potentially we were filling this niche that was not being filled at all. Whereas now it's not so much of a niche. Like you, you know what I mean? Like, like Aquarius was very, very special and very, very unique and always will be. But I think one of the great things about the internet and about this like connectedness is that like, nobody is alone in their weird obsession yeah. anymore. Mm -hmm. There's more access, um, but, but the, yeah, it makes it for more access and but more, you still need, you still need more need guidance. Though. Yeah, you, still need need you need the guidance. You need the guidance. That's what like, Aquarius did. Yeah. Like some of the stuff, like you're saying, like if it's a recording of ice, uh, you know, melting and cracking or something, what, unless you're already into that, the algorithm is probably not going to serve it up to you. Right. And, but you could yeah. come into Aquarius and go, wow, what's this that's playing? Or like, I'm interested in this thing. And then, and then, you know, you would read about it. Well, we write about it in a very, you know, genuine, enthusiastic way it would get you intrigued and you give it a chance and you might discover something new. And, and, and even though, you know, Andy and I work in a place that does, you know, it's, there's a lot of discovery you can do with a, uh, with a streaming service, but you still have to work at it a little bit. And otherwise, you know, you know, and, and you can find all kinds of things just going down YouTube rabbit holes and stuff like that. But you know, the world has it always helps when people can also, you know, have a, have I think a human is the world has always benefit benefited from curation for sure. Like there's too much, too much of everything to mm -hmm. take it all in and to parse it in a way that's yeah. effective and having a, a guide who really cares and loves what they're mm -hmm. talking about will always be valuable in yeah. lots of people can offer curation. And I mean, that's what, you know, you read zines and everything else, but Aquarius had a feeling of like, we didn't have the boundaries that some people put up about like what's cool and what's not cool. Like we, we, we would actually kind of actively try to, to, you know, ignore those boundaries. No doubt. And, and so, yeah, no <laughs> doubt. Exactly. Um, record of the week. Um, and so, and so I think that was, that was kind of, you know, mm -hmm. special too. So, well, what I've learned from the art world, um, uh, not having gone to art school, but the little that I've learned from being in the fine art world now is that curation is not a word to take lightly, right? Curation is, um, it's serious business and not everybody can do it. Curation is not like throwing a bunch of songs onto a Spotify playlist and going like Wendy's mix or yeah. whatever. And what we did was serious curation because we were thinking about context. We would place the black metal scene in the context of all the music, you know, that came before and that was happening at the moment or, you know, whatever Japanese noise. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so we, so we were, we were making connections between scenes and among scenes and through the decades and giving a lot of context and then getting excited and telling people about that context. And that's a more serious business of curation mm -hmm. that we did that I can think of few people that do now in music. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I think curation has definitely become like, I don't know what the word for, but you know, like, Hey everybody, I curated breakfast this morning, you know, yeah. like speak on this total, like, <laughs> yes, it, it, it's sort of overplayed, but yeah. like real the buzzword. passionate, informed, educated, loving curation is still something that's unique and special. And I do think that Aquarius had that big time. That's, that's what we did here time. on stuff doc telling you about all these new documentaries that are about <laughs> to come it. out. Uh, Ken, do you want to promote the screenings that are, that you just got announced today? Yes. Yeah. If, uh, 
you listeners at home have uh, liked what you've heard today uh, and live in the following cities, you could come see this movie. Um, on October 4th, Tuesday at 6 p.m., the Los Angeles premiere of It Came From Aquarius Records will happen. Actually, at the place where I work, Los Angeles City College in the music building. Hey, Ken, uh, who are the special guests for that one? The special, I'm glad you asked, Andy. The special guests are myself and Howie Klein, Ooh. who's uh, featured in the first 31 minutes of the documentary as the, as, uh, the guy who helped, who started, helped, helped start 415 Records. He was the president of Reprise Records in the 90s and helped sign like Flaming Lips, The Boredoms, Faith No More. And uh, he also was um, DJ, the first punk rock show in the nation back in San Francisco on KSAN. So he lives in L.A. and will be joining me at that show. Uh, then also two days after that in Tucson, Arizona. Ooh. On October 6th, the film will be having its Arizona premiere at the Tucson Film and Music Festival. Hey, Ken, have you thought about having my mom as a, as a special guest? She lives in Tucson. Dude, yes. She, if it, she by the is way, down, we're doing this. By the way, my mom was very upset that you didn't talk to her for the movie. <laughs> well, because I knew I knew that this moment would come and, you know, she, she could join me on the stage. Channel, yeah. Okay, yeah, I'm going to exactly. tell her. Seriously, that would be amazing. It would and be pretty funny. I don't know if she'd do it, but it would be really funny. I think it'd be awesome. Tell her that I would love to, and I'll, I'll contact her on the on on the socials. Okay. And then um, it's actually playing in Southwest Utah at Doc Utah Festival, which is a documentary festival in South Saint George, Utah, in uh, November third and November fifth. And then it's going to be playing in Brooklyn, New York, in late November. Uh, we haven't decided a date yet because it's going to be a film and music night where you watch the movie at Nighthawk Cinema in Williamsburg. And then you go down the street to Union Pool and see some live bands that are very Aquarius-y. Okay. So, and yeah. To be, to be announced. Yeah, and, and To be announced, yeah. We're trying to um, coordinate the, the film screening night and the live music night, they both have to be on nights where nothing's going on in those two venues. And that's the hard part. What's, the, what's the website where our listeners can find you or some socials you've got going for the film? Oh, yes. So uh, if you want more information about these screenings and just about the film in general, you can go to my website, which is www.thescourge.com. T-H-E-S-C-O-U-R-G-E.com. Um, it's a reference to the movie Dead Man. For those that you know, there's a there's a scene where Iggy Pop and Billy Bob Thornton sit around a fire, and Billy Bob Thornton says, "What's a scourge?" And it's it's a really funny scene. I was like, "That'll be the name of my production company." Yeah, because I love that movie too. Um, you could also go to the Facebook uh, site, which is facebook.com/slash aqdoc, or Instagram. Uh, look for uh, Instagram.com Aquarius Doc. Hashtag AQ doc, hashtag Aquarius doc. Yeah. Just Google it. Or just Google it. There's If you do a Google search for it came from Aquarius Records, it will be the first thing that pops up. And there's, um, also, a, there's also a really good uh, Instagram Aquarius RIP, which is where I've been posting yeah. old flyers and uh, nice. in-store stuff and photos from back in the day. So Nice. Yeah. And Andy, you also have a band you want to promote, your band. <laughs> Yes, please. So George can afford to keep doing this podcast by our record. Uh, uh, we have a band, uh, actually me and Mark, who used to work at uh, Aquarius, 
have a have a band called My Heart and Inverted Flame, and George put out our first record. Uh, the title's too long, so I don't even remember what it is. Um, but it's on uh, Zum, which is an awesome record label. And we're actually talking to Ken about maybe even playing the premiere in New York. Yeah. Um, and then both Alan and I have radio shows. My radio show on Gimme is called Battle Flutes and Sideways Skulls, which was on KOSF for years before it turned into a metal show. Um, and then I do another show on repeater radio in the UK called Castle Weather. And my Ooh, show Castle on Gimme. Weather. Castle Weather. My show on Gimme is called By This Wax I Rule. And that's on Mondays, which is ironic because Alan does not listen to wax. Right. He's got a giant CD tower be, uh, CD the wall behind him. But I don't I know, know why he doesn't call it by this CD I rule. <laughs> by this plastic I rule. Work. The pun doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, Wendy, you had a book that came out the year of knots and you're, you're showing in art shows all the time. Uh, what's your website that people should check out? Oh, you can just Google my name, Wendy okay. Chen. Yeah. yeah, I'm most active on Instagram. And then, yeah, and Ken, you've got your, yes, we already announced the AQ doc. George, tell us about your, uh, your, yeah. your websites. Oh, well, I just did launch my new podcast, which is very much like the Conet Project, because it's me reading a bunch of numbers to help you fall asleep. It's called the PyCast. You just type in... The symbol for pi and cast. So this podcast wasn't to help people fall asleep. Inadvertently. <laughs> this is just this is the intentional fall asleep podcast. I was gonna say, like if if AQ is around, I'm sure you would have an ASMR section. There yeah, would be like, did have an ASMR section, basically. Like oh. yeah, we kind of did essentially. Just didn't didn't call it that. What was that? What was that section called? Found, Found sounds. sounds Found and sounds. Field recordings. Yep. Yeah. I mean, if 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 the sounds of deers fucking or <laughs> The squeaking of bats slowed down, made you sleepy. Then, yeah, we did have that. Yep. <laughs> oh, was it Matt Groening? Was it Matt Groening had the the animal sounds slowed down? Record? Yeah, birds bird song slowed down. He loves. Oh, what, that is stuff. he gonna? Is he? Might he show up at the uh, the the? Uh, yeah, LA's, you should ask Matt when you're in LA. LA thing. You know what? That's uh that's a. You know what? I'm gonna send an email out right when this podcast is done. Yay. Hell yeah! Hell that yeah. would be awesome. I'm glad I could help with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, guys. Uh, it's great film, and uh, eventually, uh, hopefully, we'll, there'll be another way to watch it online for people that aren't in these cities. And that we'll, is, we'll have to that just follow Ken's website. Oh, and I hate to say that. this. I hate to say this out loud, but I'm gonna do it because it'll force Alan and I to. Oh. get our shit together but there is an aquarius book Ooh. coming someday nice. yep. that will include thousands of reviews lots of photos uh it just requires alan and i yeah and, and there may also person. be there might yeah. also be an huh? andy and alan podcast oh yeah that's also in the works dude but and i would definitely the the aquarius book is something we've been talking about for a while and we actually it was part of our agreement with stranded when they bought Aquarius is that we were still going to do this book and use all our reviews. And the best part is that every book will come with an actual Aquarius tag that was in the store. Oh, oh my awesome. God. So, oh my God. Oh my God. That was awesome. Can I, you yeah. heard can, it here for choose their tag heard it here or is it totally us? random? Um, it would be random. It'll be random, but we'll probably recognize names and maybe be a little, uh, you know, mm -hmm. pick, pick something you like. Yeah. So, but yeah, 
but don't hold your breath. <laughs> so, so, so Turge or Turge or I'm sorry, Turier in Norway, he'll get the Nico case tag. That's okay. right. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Right. Okay. Thanks everyone for taking time out of your schedule Good. to do this. Uh, thank you, George. Thanks so much. Thanks, George. Uh, thanks, Ken, for making the film. Uh, oh, we'll thank you. See you all thank later. You, thank you, Wendy, Alan, Andy, Ken Thomas. We should do this more often. It's fun. Yeah. yeah. Another 25 out. years. We'll do another one. <laughs> This right, is thanks. what your podcast is going to sound like, right? Yeah, it is. I mean, I love it. I would listen to the old married couple any day of the week. I would love <laughs> yes. to hear you guys talk. And I want to be a guest on it. Of course. All right, deal. That is one thing that people said about Andy and Alan in a lot of interviews. Like, you got you to gotta really talk to them about their whole married couple shtick. Yes, yes. <laughs> I get I get hassled all the time on, on a radio show. There's mm. this, like, fake rivalry, rivalry between Alan and I on Gimme. He started before me too. So I'm always like, Oh, I'm going to catch up to Alan. I'm going to get Alan and blah, blah. And in the chat, people are always like, when is that podcast going to happen? When is that podcast? I'm like, all right, make that it. content, make that yeah. content guys. Yeah. We did a it. show. We did a couple shows together on, on gimme and people, people did enjoy that. Yeah. They were pretty funny. There was plenty of bickering. You got, Don't worry. Yeah. I, I love <laughs> that you work together still. And yeah. <laughs> to this day. All right. Thanks everyone. Thanks for listening. You can find out more about Subdoc at subdocpodcast.com. Our theme music was written by David Siegel, and our executive producer is Will Scoble. Our associate producer is Nick Coltis, and our editor is Karen Hogg. Donate to the show through our Patreon page, patreon.com slash subdocpodcast. If you want to help out in other ways, please share this show with a friend. Join the Doc Talk and check out our hot takes, pictures, and videos on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. We're Subdoc Podcast on all those platforms. Don't forget to rate, review, and follow on Apple Podcasts. Find Paco and George's comedy gigs on the About Us page on our site. Subdoc is by Doc Fans for Doc Fans. So if you want to advertise, got a film, or opinions to share, hit us up. We'd love to hear from you and what you're docking out on. Email us at subdocpodcast at gmail.com. <laughs>